to Bollywood is for Lovers. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. In this episode, we're going to discuss the three most recent films from Bollywood auteur Anurag Kashyap. First up, 2012's five-hour crime saga, Gangs of Wasaipur, now streaming on Netflix as an eight-part series. Then the bleak 2013 neo-noir Ugly, and finally the lavish 2015 flop Bombay Velvet. Welcome back! Yeah. This is our first episode of 2016. Yeah, we've had a lot of stuff happen since we last spoke to you. We've been quite busy. Um, first of all, we were contacted by Alex Boyd of Metro Edmonton, which is a kind of daily free newspaper here in Edmonton, and she wanted to write a little article about the podcast, so she interviewed us, and then it was all over the city, and our picture was all over the city, and mm-hmm. that I, was I, got, I grabbed five copies. Yeah. I'm going to give one to my mom. Oh, yeah, my mom also wants one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then we were on Edmonton AM on the CBC Morning Show here in town, also talking about the podcast. So we were spending a lot of time promoting the podcast and not podcasting. Yeah, but we're back in the swing of things now. It's kind of ironic. Um, yeah, if you want to hear or read either of those interviews, we have them linked up on our Twitter, our Tumblr, and our Facebook page, so they're easily accessible. We'll put them accessible. in the show notes here, too. And we'll put them in the show notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a new review, Hooray. Matt, um, which uh, has uh, has some positive things to say as well as a little bit of feedback. Um, so it starts out with... Hey, we're always ready for feedback. Yeah, That's it fine. starts out with a few corrections. <laughs> hey guys, I'm an Indian and I grew up watching Bollywood movies. I casually bumped into your podcast and enjoyed listening to episode 9. Who is this, by the way? Oh, sorry, this is Vinay B. Okay. I'm amazed by the enthusiasm shown by Matt and Aaron to learn more about Bollywood. Well, thank you, Vinay. Thank you. I just wanted to point out a few factual errors in episode 9 that I wanted to correct. I'm sure there's plenty of them, so keep them coming. (laughs) Here they are. The language spoken at the beginning of Chennai Express is Tamil, not Malayalam or Malayalam. I'm not sure what pronunciation to use. If anyone knows, please let me know. I think Malayalam. Malayalam? That's what what we heard, right? Malayalam? Mm -hmm. This is probably a slip of the a slip of the tongue by Juliet. And then two, the meaning of Diliwali is a girl from Delhi and does not mean the same as Diwali. Delhi is spelled as Dili as that's how it's pronounced in Hindi. Wala, masculine gender. Wali, feminine gender. And Wale, plural form, means a particular type of person or a group of people. So a girl from Delhi, Wali in Diliwali... <laughs> Uh-huh. And big-hearted people, Wale in Diwale. Still quite impressive that Matt was trying to connect the dots between the two. Well, thanks. Um, I was, you know, I was giving it a shot. Yeah, that was really interesting. I will point out, um, we did catch that error and correct it in the show notes. So always check the notes. Always check the notes. Um, but still, that that's a that's a really useful breakdown because we don't speak a word of Hindi. Also, it's interesting to hear that there's masculine and feminine forms of words in. Hindi, because while we don't speak it, we do speak French. Yeah. And a little bit of Italian. And that was always the biggest pain in the ass of French was masculine and feminine words. So it's nice to hear that other cultures had to deal with that, that stupid way of speaking, too. <laughs> it's an, it exists in English, too. It does, um, but it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, I listen to that song all the time, and somewhere along the line, 
I forgot what the subtitles were when we first saw it in Yejiwani Haidiwani, and I thought that's what it meant. And then when I was writing up the show notes, checked it and realized that we were wrong. Um, but just finishing up the review here, I'm definitely going to check out future episodes, and it's fun to hear you guys try your best to pronounce Hindi names and Aww. movie slash song titles. Thanks. So, uh, like a, a big happy face. At least, uh, at least you enjoy our flailing. <laughs> if you have any questions about Bollywood, feel free to reach out to me. Cheers, Vinay from Vancouver, BC. Uh, we don't actually know how to reach out to you, Vinay. Um, yeah. I, I click once S- you click on uh, on people's profile on iTunes, it doesn't give you any more information other than yeah. the the podcast you reviewed. But thank you so much for that uh, positive piece mm-hmm. of uh, feedback. We appreciate your enthusiasm for our enthusiasm, and and yeah, we're it's always, a virtuous circle of enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty upfront that we're not Indian and we and we don't know Hindi, um, but we're doing our best. And we make mistakes all the time, but we own up to them. Yeah, well, yeah, well, everyone makes mistakes, and I mean, you know, this is still relatively new to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so thank you. If you would like to be as cool as Vinay and leave mm-hmm. us a review, uh, go over to iTunes and please do that. We do have a friend down in the States who's uh, sending us any reviews we get in the U.S., so if you're down there, please also consider leaving us a review. Yeah, and if you follow us on Twitter, send us a tweet to tell us that you reviewed maybe if you're in another country let mm-hmm. us know because it's hard for us to see outside of canada exactly um so uh, another big thing that happened not to us today matt um mm-hmm. but in bollywood is that the film fair awards were released kind of like earlier today while we were at work but during the evening on the other side of the world yeah so these are one of the many bollywood award shows but this is like their oscars right yeah this is like the hindi cinema oscars because there's also um the national film awards which is for all of india mm-hmm. and they kind of break down like best hindi film best telugu film best malayalam film um but this is just for the hindi film industry and is there any uh, favorites that we've seen oh boy Bajra Mastani cleaned up. Good. That it, movie was awesome. Yeah. It won Best Film, Best Director. Ranbir Singh won for Best Actor. Priyanka Chopra won for Best Supporting Actress. Um, it also got some uh, chore- choreography awards. As well as, it should, yeah. As well as the costume design. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see the love for Bajra Mastani. I... I really, really love that movie. What about Diwali? Did Diwali pick anything up? No, Diwali picked nothing up. Huh. Well, it, it made a lot of money at the box office, so I'm sure they'll go crying into their piles of crores and lacks. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, though, Bajra Mastani has officially made more, though. Oh, wow. Because they were evening out that gap, but now have surpassed. Well, Shirook's only got, what, four more movies coming out this year? <laughs> so <laughs> He'll I'm be sure okay. He'll be fine. Uh, Deepika Padukone... Uh, who was all? She was nominated for Bajra Mastani, but she won for her role in Piku. That's one I still have to see. Uh, it's great. It's totally delightful. Maybe we'll we'll try and watch it this week so you can finally catch up with that. Um, Anil Kapoor won Best Supporting Actor for Dil Dadakane Do. That's all our favorites. Um, yeah, I'm disappointed to see that Dil Dadakane Do didn't um, receive more nominations mm-hmm. um, because it was one of my favorite films of the year. I included it on my. Uh, my top ten list of kind of films from anywhere in the world. <laughs> For your other podcast. For my other Trash podcast, Trash Movies. Movies, yeah. Um, but Anil, Anil Kapoor was, was quite quite phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a drink uh, in, in that role. I, I quite enjoyed him. Um, and then one of the things that I really like about the Filmfare Awards is that they have uh, some critics' awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so they acknowledge that critics have good taste. So it's a mix of the Golden Globes and Oscars. I, I Or guess, maybe like like the New York Film Circle or something. 
Yeah, or like the National Board of Review, like the critics, mm. like they'll usually, um, it, at least what I've seen in looking up kind of, you know, the past nominations and winners of the Film for Awards, is they'll sometimes um, acknowledge something that, you know, doesn't go to the big awards, something smaller, maybe something a bit more artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, here they gave Best Picture to Piku. Um, and they also gave Best Actor to Amitabh Bachchan. You know what this is exactly like? What? This is a, exactly like book publishing in Alberta, where mm. you have the Writers Guild Awards and then the uh, book publishing awards. They used to be on the same night. They split it now, but you would get kind of the industry awards and then kind of the artistic awards mm-hmm. at the same time. So, you know, I've been to this award ceremony. I could see it now. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, Kangana Renault. One for Tanu Weds Manu Returns, the uh, Critics Award for Best Actress, which is a movie that like did not interest me when I saw the trailers or kind of even after it was released. But it has so like people have endorsed it so much. It did so mm. well at the box ups. There's so much love for it, and now the Critics Awards are saying that she was great in it. That I'm, I really feel like we need to catch up with this. It's fun to see that Best Dialogue is actually a technical award. Yeah. Because, like, Best Screenplay would obviously be at the Oscars and not at the technical Oscars. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how in Hindi cinema that's kind of seen as, you know, workmanlike stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bombay Velvet, which mm-hmm. we will be talking about at the end of this episode, won for Best Special Effects. Well, as well it should. Yeah. That's one of the best parts of the movie. Spoiler alert, I really like that movie. Yeah, we will we will get to that. Um, and I'm also glad to see that uh, that Talvar had a lot of nominations. It did pick up an uh, award for sound design. Um, but if you haven't seen Talvar, also well worth checking out. We still haven't seen Bad Lepore, though. We need to get on that. Yeah, I was hearing really good things about Bad Lepore on the 2016 you know preview show that Split Screen, Split Screen Podcast did. Yeah. They were saying that one was really good, so I feel like I got to check it out. Yeah, and they, uh, the big thanks to, to Shashahid for uh, letting us know what to expect coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did our homework for us. I really appreciate that. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, movies that seem really exciting. Yeah, a lot of interesting ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's about, uh, that's about sums up all the business we have to take care of at the top. Sure. All right. Uh, so moving into our topic of this week, um, I think we're, I'm really excited about this episode. Mm-hmm. This episode is one of the reasons why we started this podcast, mm-hmm. um, to talk about directors like Anirai Kashyap, who we feel should be like a much more well-known name in kind of the larger world cinema scene. Like He should be as well-known at this point as Park Chan-wook. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho. Maybe even your beloved Chunky Express Maestro. Uh, Wong Kar Wai? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not just not just some of those Asian um, kind of quote-unquote genre, kind of artsy genre directors, um, but I also think, I mean, even even kind of of the stature of Haneke mm-hmm. um, or Von Trier, you know, some of your some of your European auteurs, like I really Someone think... Someone whose um, place of birth doesn't really matter. It's just they're one of the world directors that yeah. you just... You just Watch the new one because they have one out and they've proven themselves to be a level of quality. Yeah, continuously making, you know, interesting and innovative films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, comparing it to Hanukkah is, is kind of a tall order. I don't know if I've seen anything from Cash Up that I think is kind of of that level. But I think he is such a notable figure who I, until we started to get into Bollywood, I didn't hear anyone talk about. And, you know, 
a lot of his films have played at Cannes and other major film festivals like TIFF and Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, and critics there have seen them and really like them. But I haven't seen them kind of play in the art houses across North America. Well, that stops now. We're going to endorse him today. <laughs> and he is going to be huge. I'm All right. telling you. It's right. coming. Um, so he is obviously a big auteur that is really changing and redefining Hindi cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, he began his career in, 19, in the 1990s as a screenwriter, and his most notable kind of early work is uh, co-writing Ram Gopavarma's acclaimed crime film, Satya, mm-hmm. uh, which is a movie that uh, our listeners have recommended to us. Mm-hmm. We get around to that. Um, Hopefully his- it's better than Boot, because <laughs> my God, Boot. Well... The least scary movie I've ever seen in my life. And... I read, I read a lot of interviews um, with Cash App kind of leading up to this and because I've really kind of developed an interest in his work. And he talks about how um, at first he didn't feel like he felt he fit in Bollywood and he find, found kind of a kinship with Gopal Varma and he was, he was a bit of a mentee to him. Uh, and then there was kind of a split around Gopal Varma's work changed, his aesthetics, mm. and, and that changed. And he no longer felt like he fit in with that style of filmmaking. Hmm. So I think maybe when we see some stuff previous to Boot, we might see a different side of Gopal Varma. Well, didn't he do Sarkar? That's one that we have been told that's the Bollywood Godfather. Um, or one of the Bollywood Godfathers, as we're going to be discussing the other one. Let me just double check that. Well, anyway, I'll uh, keep going here while you, ta- while you look. Yeah, so Cash App's directorial debut, Punch, is still unreleased, though. Although I've seen that you can acquire it via means. There's ways that you could act like a gangster yourself and find this film. We do not endorse that on this show. But if no one wants to release the film, then you really don't have a chance. He did direct Sarkar, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So he maybe he was more into the you know the gangster-type films that uh, Gopal Varma was doing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. But Boot, not so much. Boot, yeah, that movie sucked. Anyway. Um, and from what I understand, um, Panache has still not been cleared by... Panache? Ponch? Panache. Ponch. Yeah. Has still not been cleared by the censor board. Hmm. Well, so, must be good. Yeah, it must be edgy. Must at be the some very good least. shit in there. Is this, is this on the same level as, uh, what's his name, Q? I don't know. Uh, Q's Gondu. Uh, Q is a Bengali filmmaker that I quite like, and his film Gondu has not been released in India um, because it features unsimulated sexual content. Um, you can easily buy a legal copy in North America. We have one. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Um, and the way Kashyap describes Paunch is that it, you know, it has sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but I don't know if it's as edgy as unsimulated sex <laughs> yeah that that doesn't happen that often in world cinema in general that's your Gaspar Noe's that's, yeah you know, your Von Trier's the guy who did uh, six songs eight songs nine songs nine songs that guy who is that Winterbottom yeah make a Winterbottom uh, so but uh, one one thing that uh, Keshep went on to do after his movie didn't come out <laughs> was make a movie about the 1993 Bombay bombings called Black Friday, which is available on Netflix, and we're not talking about it today, but I would really like to see it. Yeah. A lot of his films have been inspired by kind of true events. Ponch was also somewhat inspired by these uh, 1970s serial killer, serial killing murders. Oh, interesting. Um, I saw another one on uh, Maine or Charles. That's about a uh, hunt for a serial killer with Randy Puda. Hmm. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. actor we will like, Randy Puda. So that's when we should I mean, we should do a serial killer episode. Maybe, maybe. Um, but Black Friday was also stalled by the censor board. The Bombay High Court put a stay on its release um, as the events that inspired the film were still in trial and a verdict hadn't been released. Mm. But it was finally cleared. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. You don't want to sway public opinion so much that people get really mad after the verdict. Like It's also censorship. It is censorship, but they do have a censor board. That yeah. is what it's for, and that's what you would expect them to do. I, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that makes sense. Yeah, in an interview with Karen Johar, Cash Up calls the censor board um, kind of a deeply misunderstood organization. Mm-hmm. Well, is it more like the British one? I I am not too sure. Uh, if you're really interested, there are a lot of articles um, about corruption <laughs> with the censor board. Well, that's another good idea for an episode. <laughs> Things the censors didn't like. Yeah. Um, it, w- it was finally cleared by the censor board in 2007. Um, so subsequently, he made a No Smoking, which is a surrealist adaptation of Stephen King's Quitters, Inc., starring John Abraham. That is a great short story, and I would love to track this movie down. Cause yeah. It, yeah, it... Makes smoking and going outside to do so even creepier than, you know, going outside to take your cancer sticks and die. But, you know, it that was a great story, and I, I really want to check this one out. Yeah, it is available. You're going to hear that a lot as every movie we mentioned <laughs> that we haven't seen to be like, man, I got to check this one out. This guy's awesome. Yeah. Um, it is available on Eros now. Mm. Um, and Return of Hanuman, which is an animated children's film about the Hindu god. Sweet. Which I would not have expected from Kashyap. Hanuman's but, awesome. Yeah. Um, in 2009, he released both Dev D, a contemporary take on the Bengali novel Devdas, which we will definitely talk about when we also talk about um, Sanjay Leela Bansali's Devdas. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe also Sajat Reyes, which is not a Bollywood film. It's not in Hindi. It's in Bengali. We should do it. Well worth seeing. That would make sense to do all three. Yeah. Uh, And the political drama Gulal. In 2011, he teamed up with his then wife, Kalki Kochalan, to make That Girl in Yellow Boots, which was a festival favorite. And Roger Ebert gave quite a Now, does this have anything to do with The Girl in Gold Boots, the uh, MST3K garbage film? I don't believe so, no. Is it a Hindu remake? Because. That would be really obscure. <laughs> no, uh, Kalki Kochalin co-wrote uh, the script, and they shot in something like 13 days. Nice. Um, I would make a guess that, I mean, I don't know for sure, Kalki Kochalin and Anirak Kashmap might be huge MST3K fans, but I bet they have never heard of that girl in the Colton Boots. I mean, it's not a good film. No. It, it certainly could be improved <laughs> by an adaptation. Is that the one where Crow sings the song to his Canadian girlfriend? Creepy girl. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone, MST3K someone fans, will, correct us. Yeah, someone will let us know if we're wrong on that. If there's anything MST3K, MST3K fans are known for, it's injecting uh, their opinions into things. So yeah. They'll let us know. Um, he's also contributed to the anthology films Mumbai Cutting and and Bombay Talkies, and wrote the film for award-winning screenplay for Udan, which is based on his own experience as a child abuse. So, yeah. That's supposed to be a cult classic. He's recently taken up producing and started two production companies, Anurite Cash App Films, which produce Udan and The Lunchbox. Massive acclaim for The Lunchbox. Good movie. It is a great movie, and you know the movie that I most recommend to uh, people like my mom, who I don't necessarily think would be that into 
Bollywood cinema. But Gangs of Wasipur is probably not. Your, well, your mom actually might like it. Yeah, she, she likes she violent might. movies. And it might be too dense for her. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Lunchbox, great. Everyone can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So enjoyable. Um, and Fansom's Films, which produced Lutera, NH10, and the Cannes award-winning Masson. You see the Phantom Films logo fairly often, actually. Yeah, well, because we're the first film they produced was a uh, Lutera, and because you know you and I are interested in kind of like good <laughs> contemporary Bollywood cinema, I think we do see it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He was awarded the Ordre des Arts et Lettres by France in 2013. Yeah, that's equivalent to being knighted in France. Yeah, it's it's one of the highest civilian honors. I've I've read about that one before. Mm-hmm. His influences include Vittorio De Sica and Martin Scorsese, and he himself has influenced Danny Boyle, uh, most notably with Slumdog Millionaire. There's a scene in Slumdog, there's a scene in Black Friday of um, kind of a chase through Mumbai that Danny Boyle cites as kind of uh, his, one of his biggest inspirations for Slumdog Millionaire. I think I remember that scene. It was pretty good, so I'll have to see the original version. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt, what do you... Take away from Cash App's style, from the films we've seen and all the research we've done on him. He's definitely got some preoccupations towards the downer side <laughs> of filmmaking. Um, I guess what you would call it sort of a pessimistic realism. Yeah. Yeah, I was both kind of surprised and unsurprised when I came across him referencing De Sica as... Mm-hmm. As that an ma- influence. That totally makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and his films are uh, in some ways grittier and a lot more violent and a lot more preoccupied with crime mm-hmm. than De Sica's. However, when you kind of put... Um, Wait, is bicycle thieving not a crime? Um, yeah, but you... Some might say that's the worst crime of all. I mean, he just needs <laughs> to get to work and they stole his damn bike. I know, but this you don't... This is the movie The Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, but you don't go into, like, the underbelly of the Bicycle Thieves racket. You kind of do. I guess. You mostly follow around this this father and his son. Yeah. Um, but when you put Pride of Tzatziki in context of the stuff he was rebelling, rebelling against in it, it, Italian filmmaking at the time, I see how Kashyap, <laughs> you know, is doing something similar with kind of mainstream Bollywood. His work, you know, uses kind of... Um, Location photography, mm-hmm. hand, a lot of handheld camera work, and is very much about a sense of gritty realism. It's and probably improvised scenes a lot of the time. A lot of improvisation, like, yeah. Like Italian neorealism. And, I mean, this is potentially more of a comment on modern India, but, I mean, De Sica's working in bombed-out Rome where everything has mm-hmm. been torn to shreds. And then Kashyap's working in India right now, where some places are, you know, stricken by poverty. Yeah, and he's kind of made the point that um, Bollywood is responsible for India's inability to deal with reality. Um, And he sees kind of that Bollywood films are always shot in very clean spaces and studio sets or in London or in Switzerland or these exotic locations and not in kind of the urban centers that people actually live in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was really, you know, he's really making kind of a statement with his filmmaking and kind of going against the grain. That being said, it was kind of um, surprising to me, knowing everything that I know about Kashyap, that he is working with Karan Johar, Mm -hmm. the most commercial filmmaker that I can think of in Bollywood, an excellent filmmaker, but the antithesis of what Kashyap is doing. Um, Maybe they 
you know, it's opposites attract, right? The most yeah. commercial versus the least commercial. Well, and Cash App was recently on uh, Coffee with Karan on the most recent season. Um, Which even is though, Karen Johar's popular interview TV show. Yes. Um, even though at one point he described it as kind of like a, a masturbatory practice, mm-hmm. um, which Johar took him to task um, on the episode, and he pointed out that Kashyap welcomed him. Sorry, that Johar welcomed him with a cum, well, which is a know, great joke. Everyone likes uh, everyone likes masturbating. Yeah, um, come and- fall in love. <laughs> and well. And while this interview on Kapit Quran is probably one of the more fluffier ones uh, with Anirag Kashyap, I found it really interesting because he talked a lot about how earlier in his career he really had an axe to grind with the Bollywood film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and his perspective has changed over time. And he actually said a lot of kind of very mean things to Karen Johar in the media. Mm. In the media. Um, but his perspective has changed over the time. Because he understands now, especially now that he's producing, how when you're running a studio, you need to make money. And so you release these broad movies that are going to appeal to a lot of people, rake in a lot of box office money, and then that money gets recirculated to other films. And so he has started to understand how, because of other kinds of films, he is able to bring his vision to screen. And without kind of diversity, without things that are making money, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the opportunity to do that. You need the tentpole. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to hear him talk about this kind of a, this appreciation he has for things that are not his vision, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was a very kind of mature response for, you know, kind of your enfant terrible type director. He should be certainly as well known as Xavier Dolan. Yeah, he's ten times as good as Debbie Dolan. Well, Debbie I mean, Dolan sucks. That's that's Matt's opinion. Hate that guy. <laughs> that's Matt's opinion. Um, so I think I, I think I think he could probably beat Xavier Dolan up in a fight too. Oh God! I mean, that guy weighs what, like ninety-seven pounds, soaking wet. Easy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, moving on from bad mouthing uh, celebrated Canadian filmmakers. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we dive into Gangs of Wasipur? Not really, no. Okay. It's, yeah. Kashyap is a director that you should know about. Yeah. And should get more, maybe not acclaim, but he should definitely be in the conversation when talking about world cinema in a way he isn't right now. And we also want to say that his films are, um, they're very Indian. They're he has talked about how when he first started um, making movies, kind of the Indian critics would say, oh, this is too European, this is too American, it's too different. And then he would take them to festivals. And the festival critics would say, this is too Bollywood. Um, his mm-hmm. films are always really kind of deeply rooted in kind of these true crime stories in India, which reverberate on these larger sociopolitical messages. Apart from Bombay Velvet, which might be an attempt to be more commercial but in fact kind of rebounded. But it's still it's still a true crime narrative that does, I think, reverberate on larger socioeconomic if realities. That's a, if that's a true crime narrative, I would have loved to live in that world because <laughs> you know it, It's a slick true it's crime much narrative. It's more stylized than the other films we're gonna talk about. Yeah, well but it's in, still, in its own way. It's still based on a true story, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Alright, Matt, so why don't you set up Gangs of Wasipur for us? Alright, so Gangs of Wasipur came out in twenty twelve mm-hmm. and screened at Cannes Directors Fortnite. So, you know, that's 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is super long. It <laughs> runs 319 minutes, a.k.a. five and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, but since no, not even Indian movie theaters, which are used to pretty long movies, would show it in its entirety, it was split into two parts for commercial release. Um, just around Christmas time last year, so 2015, it was actually released on Netflix, and you should all definitely watch it. Uh, it has been split into eight parts, and you can watch it basically like you're binge-watching a TV show. Mm-hmm. Because it does have... A few points at which the narrative shifts in a way that you could easily cut it into a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's an epic gang struggle that takes place over about seventy years, covering three generations yeah. of the Khan family and their struggle against the Qureshis and against uh, the crooked mine operator slash politician who ruins their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it centers on the coal mafia. That's the like the first kind of racket. This Khan family gets into in Donbad and Jharkhand. So it's in kind of a really poor area of uh, India, and it's a crime that, apart from like, well, Gunday would be the kind of Bollywood version of this crime of stealing coal, Mm -hmm. where they're like Robin Hooding it up and stealing coal and then selling it back. Whereas in this one, it's just straight up protection racket. Um, and revenge. It's a revenge story that, yeah, over 70 years where the cons try to take revenge on their uh, hated enemy. So, Menaj Bhopal stars as Sardar Khan. Nawazuddin Siddiqui stars as Faisal Khan. And, you know, he definitely needs to be in the conversation of actors who fucking rule. <laughs> yeah, he's probably most recognizable uh, to people outside of Bollywood fans for his role in The Lunchbox. Mm-hmm. He is the uh, kind of new hire that is going to take over Irfan Khan's job. Very different kind of performance. Um, I love everything I see Nawazuddin Siddiqui in. Uh, he started out as a junior artist. Um, Which means an extra, as everyone who's seen Om Shanti Om remember, remembers. Yeah. Um, and is now, I think, uh, one of India's premier film actors. He's like Irfan Khan, where it's like, oh, this is going to be good. He can he can be kind of a star type, but he's more, this is the star who's good at acting. Yeah, and he has a lot of negative roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's phenomenal. He smokes weed almost in every single scene of this movie <laughs> with this hilarious little pipe that you hold between your knuckles. It's It's just funny. That he's constantly baked in every single scene. Yeah. Um, Huma Qureshi stars as Moshina, who eventually marries uh, Faisal Khan. This was her first role. Yeah, not a huge spoiler, but, you know, um, she's good. This um, was her first role. Uh, Kashyap discovered her at a Samsung commercial hmm. and, like, promised her a role. And she thought, yeah, sure, a lot of people have said that they would do that. And then he followed through with it. Hmm. Um, and, like, this is the thing she gets to debut in. That's pretty cool. Is this the modern version of being at the uh, Schwab's lunch counter? Maybe. And getting noticed there. We've got Piyush Mishra as Nazir, also the narrator. I think my favorite guy. He's kind of a, not a consigliere for the cons, but a close family friend who does most of the murdering, actually. Yeah. Uh, Jaidi Balawat is a Shahid Khan, who was the first of the Khan family in the line of gangsters, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, Richard Chada is Nagma Khatun, uh, Sardar's first wife. Uh, Sardar Khan is the Khan of the 
fifties through eighties, I guess, around then. Yeah. And he uh, he kind of gets mixed up with two different women and starts off two separate branches of the family. Everything is kind of his fault, in my opinion. Um. I mean, he, had he kept his action pants on, I think he would have been okay. But uh, they also have a fair amount of enemies that aren't, uh, you know, that aren't directly related to this uh, schism. I think he is the least likable of the cons. I mean, they are murderous gangsters, so yeah. it doesn't really matter if you like them or not. But he's uh, he's the one that actually got the whole family going, though. I mean, his father didn't really amount to much in the end. He's the one that set up everything. Yeah. So, you know, he's an interesting figure. Set up everything that ruins everyone's lives. Anyway. Sure. Please continue I mean, sharing the cast. If you're us. watching, if you're watching any right cash app movies and hoping that people make it out okay, you're probably watching the wrong film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got um, Rima Sen as uh, Durga, start our second wife. Maybe the silver line of the cons <laughs> starts through her. And Zaisha Quadri is definite con, who is... Uh, Durga's son, I think. Yes. yes. Yeah. So he's kind of a rival slash friend for Faisal Khan later on. Yeah. Quadri also worked on the script and he was the person that brought the idea to Kashyap. So, mm-hmm. um, this is inspired by true events. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they did change the names of the families and of the people involved. Um, I've, I've seen this referred to as partly because uh, he's alert from the mistake of Black Friday where he didn't. And then, mm-hmm. you know, court ordered, forced it not to come out for two years. Um, so maybe to cover his ass. Um, so this film is one hell of an intense ride. Um, it has Largely been compared to The Godfather, Mm -hmm. Um, but it also kind of feels like the antithesis of The Godfather, because where The Godfather is this kind of slick and appealing and beautiful... Being a gangster in The Godfather looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. Family drama. Gangs of royalty is this dirty and grimy and angry <laughs> yeah they're really fighting over um, pretty like chump change if it comes to the international gangster market like they're really not in charge of much but they want to hold on to it yeah i you know and i think the the low stakes of it the kind of the low stakes of it coupled with the really kind of intense violence and anger with it make it really fascinating you know these are not gangsters who, you know, get these mansions and these big balls that say, you know, what is it like? The The world world, is yours. The world is yours. You know, there's no mountains of cocaine. They're, they're butchers and coal miners and scrap metal dealers. One of the most appealing parts of the movie, in my opinion, is about the middle two hours or so. Uh, They want to start getting guns because up to this point, it's using your fists, using a knife. Like, guns are not really easy to get a hold of in post-partition India. So there's a long stretch where they're, like, building their own guns and they blow up in their hand or they're working really hard to just get one gun. And when you think about it, if, you know, if here in Canada, it would also be pretty tough for someone in straight society to be able to get a gun. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of relatable. Like, 
hey, if I wanted to start being a gangster, how would I go about it? It's really hard to get started on the ground floor of that and getting a gun. You have to be born into it. I mean, I'm not saying I want to be a gangster, but I can kind of understand the struggles. It's like, man, that seems really difficult for these guys. I hope they're, hope they're able to get a gun. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do feel for them. Um, we have seen this film with three different subtitle tracks. <laughs> yeah, and the one on Netflix is... Preferable. Is the best Go one. Go for that one, yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, when I initially saw this, it had uh, a subtitle track that included a lot of fucks and motherfuckers, which kind of... The, the opening scene of this movie is amazing. It's jaw-dropping. It starts to... It's like a one-shot, like no no cuts. The only The cuts. only thing I don't like about this movie, honestly, is the digital uh, gunshots. Mm. And digital squibs. Yeah. Because it does look a little bit cheap at some points where you're seeing a lot of guns go off. But everything else looks completely legit. Yeah. So it pans out from this uh, television screen that's just the opening titles some of some... About, some show about some mother-in-law, I'm guessing. Yeah, about like how Indian media tends to portray families. Mm-hmm. Um, so it pans out from there and then it takes you kind of on this really intense uh, gang warfare of, you know, a group of gangsters, a scrappy it's the, it's group the, of gangsters. The Qureshis are attacking the Khan family. Exactly. And this is, I think it's 2004 when this happened. And you don't quite understand that when it opens, because it was really in media res. And then you flash back to the 1940s, and eventually, over the course of three hours, sorry, 319 minutes, uh, you get to, to this scene again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really intense, and so... And I think, and you see it from the other side. You see it from Faisal's yeah. point of view. Yeah, it's 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 really intense and slick piece of filmmaking that also you know has this griminess to it. Um, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know putting fucks and motherfuckers in the translation in your subtitles gives it a certain amount of impact. It's bigger. It's better than rascal or you know scoundrel. Yeah, which is what it's replaced in in the other track we watched it on in the. Apparently bootlegged uh, <laughs> library version. Yeah, so we ended up taking this film out of uh, the Edmonton Public Library and quickly discovered that they were bootlegs. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only was the subtitle track different, but we were actively fixing grammar errors and rewriting it you know, in our heads while we were watching it. And this is a really dense film. Yeah, this happens sometimes in Bollywood movies... It, like the grammar's not entirely correct, not but in this, this it, in this it was really it was, bad. They were clearly bootlegs. So then we rented it um, on iTunes, where it again had a different subtitle track. I don't know why. At least it explained the story better, though. Yeah, the one on Netflix is the best. Yeah, it's that perfect. We've seen. Um, it's got a good mix of fucks, motherfucks, <laughs> fuck yous. It's a gangster movie. You want that? We're I definitely mean, earning our explicit rating this episode. Yeah, and different. I mean, different languages have different kinds of expletives. So meld in French, which means shit in English, has more impact in French than it does in English. I, I know, Actually, going back to Xavier Dolan, I notice this a lot in his work because he does his own English language translations for his subtitles. And I know French, so I can tell places where he is choosing language for impact versus verbatim translation. So he's switching from tabernacle to shit? Or things like that, right? Yeah. And that's... So a lot of the religious swearing doesn't really bother us in English that no, much. No, it doesn't. Um, and a lot of, you know, like, fuck is not a big deal mm-hmm. as much in Quebec. So uh, I really appreciate, you know, 
good subtitles, and Netflix has good subtitles. At least on this one, yeah. Yeah. But going back to the content of the film itself, I think the first time I saw this, it's, it is so dense that I really... And it, it's really kind of surprisingly violent. There are some scenes that really kind of took me aback with how just kind of gruesome they are. There's a lot, of, sta- there's a lot are. of stabbings. There are, there are a lot of stabbings, a lot of gunshots, One a dick lot of blood. Um, yeah. That being said, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not uh, the most graphic thing I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's on par with kind of your standard Hollywood gangster film in, in terms of Maybe violence. even something like The Raid. Yeah. It doesn't have the martial arts aspect, but that kind of level of visceral nature. Exactly, exactly. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is like Eli Roth level violence. No. Um, you know, it's still kind of within um, pace with the, with the genre that the film is in. It could be shown in polite society. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but it also has a surprising amount of humor. And so the second time I watched this, um, when I kind of knew the story beats a bit better, I was able to get into it a lot more. The first time I was like, I don't know about this. This is really long and it's really, it's jam-packed full of kind of information that can, I think, be difficult to follow, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're not giving it your full attention. And then the second time, knowing kind of all of the story beats, it really, like, came alive to me. And I noticed just how funny it is. It's a lot of gallows humor and a lot of kind of something that uh, Tarantino's good at. is like guys who have a shitty job to do, but they're just kind of shooting the shit while they're, you know, burying somebody or that kind of thing. And I think that kind of, that mix of tones uh, really feels like a Bollywood thing. Like, that mm-hmm. really feels... It's got like, that masala vibe. Exactly. Um, while I would never call this a masala film, it does kind of have a bit of that that the first time I watched it, I didn't really notice. Um, and then the second times I kind of had myself in stitches. There's... um. Uh, because this film also deals with kind of like some political corruption and people trying to uh, influence voters as well as run in elections. There's like this hype man. <laughs> that guy is my favorite guy. He's my second favorite guy. I like I like their helper who stabs people. But the hype man that he hires to just say, I'm going to bomb all these houses unless you let me get my way. And then he gets a guy to just style out front of the uh He's just dancing mansion. around. Yeah. He's, oh, that's, that's the most baller way of in, <laughs> intimidating somebody you could possibly have. It's uh, great. Yeah. See, that's you love Sardar Khan. He thought that up. Great he's idea. He's got like this shiny shirt. Yeah, he's got some, uh, you know, <laughs> blades on his face. And yeah, he's like... <laughs> the hype man's great. He's perfectly douchey in the best way. Yeah, no, great character. Uh, yeah, so there's a surprising amount of humor in this film that... Uh, that, yeah, you just have to go with it because it, it's like it almost verges on quirky at times. And then you get brought back into this really, you know, gritty crime drama. Um, it also is marks kind of the passage of time with cinema. It's also heavily invested in how uh, cinema factors into Indian culture and what has reflected back to Indian culture. And it subtly embraces that as well as criticizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of you know it's 1995 because everyone's talking about DDLJ. This is something that's going to come up again in Bombay Velvet. Yeah. Which is very linked to especially Western movies coming into India at the time. Yeah, but this is very much about Bollywood films. And so mm-hmm. you see kind of posters in the background. And again, it opens with a shot of this television. And Huma Qureshi's character loves movies. You know, she mm-hmm. lives for that. 
and kind of our main villain prides himself on not watching movies and not trying to the country yeah and not trying to be that kind of hero mm-hmm. um, and so I felt that kind of both embrace and criticism really interesting yeah um, if you like the sopranos and you have sat down and maybe watched an entire season over the course of a weekend just watch this you know you'll get you'll get a fun experience yeah and it's equally good as the sopranos oh I'd, I'd even say better in places. But it's it's what I really like about it is that it has this provincial aesthetic. It's almost like reminds me of like um, Jean de Florette, right? Like instead of being in an urban center, you're in kind of like yeah. the backwoods. Or maybe in a less uh, douchey way, Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> yeah, sure. Which you know is completely about the humor, but it also is, is yeah. just small strivers trying to get along. It, but the only way they know how. This is like no a one is walking around carrying a, a, a chai while shooting people, but, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question. This is like the Trailer Park Boys and the Godfather had an Indian baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, it also has great music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's heavily influenced by Indian folk songs. Um, and the music itself also has a lot of humor and, like, is really fascinating. There's no, like, uh, kind of out and kind of, you know, choreographed song and dance sequences. But it does have a lot of music throughout it, and it's really, really interesting. And we're going to throw to a song right now, I think. Yes, uh, so I think our favorite song from the soundtrack, Cala Ray. That was Calaray from the soundtrack of Gangs of Wasepur. So, you know who I was thinking that we should be comparing Enyaq Kashyap to? Because he works in the same genres and is probably better. Okay. Who? Nicholas Winding Raffin. Oh, yeah. He is, you know, also known for a sort of darker material, sometimes historical, sometimes modern day, often with a you know strong visual style. Cool soundtracks. Cool soundtracks. Enyaq Kashyap is the... Nicholas Winding Refn of India. Yeah. Although I will say, like, I think Cash App is willing to go grimier in a way that Refn always stays cool. Well, that's why I'm thinking about our next film, Ugly, mm. which has a similar sort of color palette to Only God Forgives, I'd mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not as red, but yeah. It's definitely a lot of neon and shadow and, yeah. It's very... Neo noir. It, um, I think it has a lot of Fincher in it in its DNA. Yeah, maybe. So Ugly pl- also played in the uh, director's Fortnite, and this was at 2013 Con. So yeah, so the year one after year games. after making a five year a five hour long gangster movie, he comes back with another movie. Might as well be five years. We keep changing the length of this movie. It's five years. Other long. other other five people. Long. Other people would have taken a couple years off, but Keshab, no, he's back with another one. He he is prolific. And. This one, hilariously enough, uh, he left it unreleased for two years as he didn't want the anti-smoking warnings to be on the film. To be fair, there are quite a few anti-smoking warnings, but for someone who's new to Bollywood, this might be a little bit disconcerting because it is, I think he's right in that it does take you out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I... But this is something that 
someone who's never seen Bollywood before might even be kind of shocked to see someone saying smoking is injurious to health on screen. Like we, we don't, we never get editorial injections like that in Hollywood films, but in Bollywood, these censors have decided to help people stop smoking. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with Kashyap's stance. I think here, this is a place where the censor board really is kind of, you know, messing with someone's artistic and creative vision. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not really in favor of that. I don't really believe in that. Well, I do think that, you know, films have power and that, you know, representations of smoking and cinema can glorify it. I also think that like the direct correlation between like youth smoking and cinema is not as... It's infantile, honestly. Yeah, I think there are a lot of other factors. Um, no, if your if your parents smoke, you smoke. That's just yeah. what happens. Well, exactly. If your friends smoke, like I think there are a lot yeah. of other factors um, that lead people to smart start smoking. Then seeing it in a really gritty crime film where everyone is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like if, this is not glorif- glorification. If, if watching ugly makes you want to start smoking. You're a very stupid person because this is like not a world that anyone wants to live in. This yeah, is this, this is straight up Bogart. This is straight up noir. Like this is a crapsack universe, honestly. Well, I mean, it's it's even grittier than noir because, like, you know, Humphrey Bogart makes you want to smoke. These guys do not. And so, like, I, you know, he. I think he's got he a eventually, point. Yeah, I think he does have a point. And he, he released it partly because, you know, he has a responsibility to the studio that funded the film for mm-hmm. them to recoup their cost and make money off of this movie. Well, it's probably contractually obligated that he would have it out by a certain point anyway. So. Yeah, but I, you know, I appreciate that he's fighting this fight. I don't have a huge problem with the anti-smoking ads that play before the film films, um, but when they actually pops up on screen, I do think it's distracting. I do think it takes away from the experience of the film and yeah I, I i think it was a good thing that he he tried to uh lobby for uh for this to not be the case with ugly but unfortunately like, I can't he eventually another, had to release it like is there another world cinema that would even think to do something like that really <sighs> may um, yeah probably i mean um the british board of film classification does still cut films to achieve certain ratings they cut them but they don't actually say like there's no you know, editorial injection saying, interjection saying, hey, don't be like the people on screen. This, yeah. This is kind of unprecedented, I would yeah. say. I, I mean, I think we do want to say that we admire India's uh, commitment to the country's health and well-being. Mm-hmm. You know, but we do think that you know, it's there a little, might be better It's a little solutions. heavy-handed. The yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So why don't you uh, describe the plot for us, Matt? Sure. Well, uh, Rahul Bhatt plays Rahul Kapoor. An aspiring actor who has changed his name to Rahul Kapoor, by the way. Rahul being the guy from DDLJ, if I remember right. Uh, no, Ka- the guy from DDLJ is Raj. He's just changed his last name to Kapoor because yeah. Kapoor. Ra- I'm sure that Sharuk has played a guy named Rahul at some point. I'm thinking of it. But Kapoor, obviously a very Indian actory name. And his- no, his real name is Rahul. Like his, his character's first name is always Rahul. He just changed his last name. No, this is a reference. It's a reference to the movies. Anyway, whatever. Who cares what you think? Uh, he is an aspiring actor in a you know mid-sized Indian town, city, and his uh, daughter with his ex-wife is stolen out of their car when uh, he's up at his friend Chaitanya's house. Uh, Chaitanya is a uh, producer slash um, casting director. To be fair, Sherwood Khan has played a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. All right. 
I, I feel like that is a, you know, that is a reference to actors in All general. Right. Please continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. But anyway, his daughter gets stolen out of his car, and this kicks off a gigantic manhunt to find her, not least of which because his wife has gone on to marry Shumik Bose, Bose, Shumik Bose, like me, uh, <laughs> who is played by Ronit Roy. Um, and his the the woman that they're both into is Tejasweeney Kolapuri, uh, who played Shalini Bose. Um, so Shumik is a really high-ranking detective who carries a lot of respect among his peers in the uh, police. So the stage is set for them to go and try and find this kid and also figure out if Rahul and his buddy Chetanya are up to something. Yeah. And it turns out they are. This, not, this is not a spoiler, but it comes up pretty quickly that Chatanya is, he, he's at least using this situation to try and further some other ends on his own. Yeah, the film uh, is about how everyone exploits this situation for their own means. So Callie is kidnapped. No one knows where she Callie is. Callie is the daughter's The name. daughter, yes. Uh, no one knows where she is. Initially, they go to the police, and the police don't take them seriously. They kind of play games with them um, in an incredible scene. That's a really funny scene. Oh, it's it's genius. Rahul and um, Chaitanya are at the uh, police station trying to explain... Uh, someone has actually gotten killed by this point in the movie, and they're trying to yeah. explain how they got to this. And the police chief there just doesn't believe that you can have your, your face pop up on your daughter's phone when you're calling her. He's like, there's no way. Explain to me how this works. And then he, like, poses for a picture and has to put his hat on. Yeah, so they're trying to show it, like, while, you know, in the very critical first 48 hours of a kidnapping case, they're just dicking around trying to show him, well, this is how you would do that on your phone to make your, on your daughter's phone to make you show up. It's a pretty good scene. Yeah, it's a a great scene. And then quickly when they realize that uh, Callie is the stepdaughter of... uh, Shumik. Yeah, of both. Then, you know, the... Things shift, and Bose, because he has this grudge from college days, mm-hmm. pinpoints it on Rahul and Chatina, and they spend a lot of the investigation just kind of dicking around with them instead and beating of really them up looking at, for Cali. Beating them up whenever they want, just kind of finding them like, hmm, seems like you need some questioning. Yeah. The, um, I mean, if the film's title doesn't already point to this, this is a bleak movie. It's, I think difficult to watch at times because everyone is horrible. Like I liked these people even less than I like the people in Gangs of Wasi Oh, I like the people in Gangs of Wasi I mean, they're they're kind of Yeah, Huma Qureshi's great. They're kind of backwoods um, you know, gangsters, but they they're generally not involving civilians in what they're up to. Whereas the cops and the, you know, underworld types in this one do not give a shit about any sort of civilian slash underworld divide they'll involve anyone they want yeah in the proceedings and the world is you know awful everyone is preoccupied with their own selfish interests and no one is thinking about no Allie. one even cares about this kid no yeah it's the, really the mother is somewhat sad about it but she's got somewhat a- i mean the film opens with her contemplating suicide with her daughter in the next room mm-hmm. the only reason she doesn't is because her daughter knocks on the door wanting to like Get a hold of her dad. Yeah, there's a lot of just kind of egos where Shumik is, you know, it's almost like, oh man, I, I can't believe that my daughter was stolen. I don't really like her that much, but this reflects badly on me. Yeah, that, yeah, this is, 
I think can be I think could be a tough film for a lot of people to watch, but it's gripping. Anyone with children might have some objections to it. Well, yeah, and um, Kashyap was inspired to make this film by his own personal guilt of being an absent father and not spending enough time with his daughter and this fear he has of losing her. I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, in addition to being a film director involved in the film industry, Kashyap is also on the board of a Mumbai-based NGO that works to protect vulnerable children. Mm -hmm. And while I don't like reading the biography of an author into their work, he himself was a victim of child abuse and child sexual abuse. And I think um, the film is clearly disgusted with all these people and clearly cares about Callie. And that's what gets you through this movie. That's what gets you through this kind of awful story of all these people exploiting the kidnapping of a child is because the film wants you to feel their ugliness. The film wants to draw attention to how adults are acting out of their own selfish interest, their own motivation, their own petty debt. Apart from Schumick, though, I think most of the cops, while you might disagree with their methods, they do, you know, they are trying to catch this kid. Like they're it's not, a varying degrees. They spend a lot of time just enjoying beating people up. But that that just keeps, seems to come to the territory with Indian cops. Um, but like, yeah, they, but they are doing their job, which is this to find film the is child. talking about that problem. Yes, oh, I agree. You know, and there is uh, one cop, uh, a woman, uh, who seems to have her mo- the most head on her shoulders, who's actually kind of, you know, using new tactics like GPS and. You know, seems to really care, but she's well, not. You, you could call this movie a techno thriller, honestly, because yeah. um, it does show us the techniques that police have these days. Because immediately after, you know, bringing them in, the cops have Rahul and Chatanya. Um, their phones are bugged; they can hear everything they're saying, and you know, the Rahul and Chatanya kind of realize this at some point and start changing their moods. And changing their actions. And yeah. Schumick has had his wife bugged for years, honestly, it seems like. it's This movie is so cynical. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's this one uh, female detective I'm speaking about. She's not a big part of the film, but she's kind of, like, your only redeeming character to hang on to. Mm-hmm. You know, and you really kind of just... You want to know more about her? You want... You, you, like, every time well, she's you, on you, scene, you, I was kind of gripping to this faint sense of humanity that she had that no other characters seem to have. You hope that she's got things that are outside of her work. Yeah. This movie also looks great. Yeah. You know, like I said, I think it really has kind of a, a Fincher vibe. Uh, it, you know, it's a kind of, it's pitch perfect, neo-noir, it's shot shows, well. It shows the dirty side of the city. shows people picking garbage. Yeah. People, it shows... Places where you could believe actual people in India live. It's not gigantic mansions. Um, and it feels really tight. And to my surprise, I discovered that Kashyap didn't show the script to any of the lead actors. And that uh, a lot of scenes, like the one we were describing with uh, the initial interrogation, when Rahul and Chatting now go to the police and they kind of antagonize them, that is largely improvised. It was supposed to be one minute in the film and it lasts for something like 14 or mm-hmm. thereabouts. Um, a lot of improvised dialogue. It it feels... And that gives it a, this immediate feeling. Yeah. That along with kind of um, the film marks the passage of time by letting you know what day it is. And so you're always kind of aware how far away you were are from, yeah. in the story to when she was taken. I mean, it takes place over the course of maybe a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this film 
you know, unlike Gangs of Wasse Poor, uh, I found reaction to this film a bit more mixed, um, which will be a recurring theme when we get to Bombay Velvet. Um, but I, I really responded to it, and I wonder if it's just it's it's a hard movie to watch. There's, I mean, there's still some humor in it, but I don't know. It's, it's a lot less. Well, it reminds humorous me of, than than Gangs of Wasse Poor, that's for sure. It reminds me of something like David Peace's uh, Red Riding books, where. Everyone is corrupt. The city itself seems diseased. Yeah. And the fact that a little kid is at the middle of the proceedings just makes everything somewhat worse. It's so noir. It's it's more than so noir. noir. I, like, I, I don't know if it's noir because, yes, everyone is working at their own purposes. And, yes, it's, it's lit very noir. It's just absolute cynicism, absolute nihilism. Exactly. It's, well, it's, just I gone, mean, it's got, gone beyond noir. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I find, like, James M. K- M. Kane extremely nihilistic. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do... Check rec- it out if you're having friends over and want to have a good time. Put on <laughs> Ugly. See what they think. Um, we'll say we, we watch this on Netflix. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really good. Just uh, make sure you're in the correct mood. So, Cash App's most recent film is uh, Bombay Velvet. It's his uh, most expensive film. It was uh, 120 crore, roughly $18 million, um, which is like... 15 million more than Gangs of Wasseypur, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a huge box office failure. Kashyap called it himself the biggest loss-making film in the history of cinema. I don't know um, about that. <laughs> and it's said that He's... he has to live with the burden of losing all that money for the rest of his life. That, that's a bit of self-aggrandizement. I think yeah. Heaven's Gate might have lost a bit more money. Or... Uh, Jam in the Holograms, maybe. <laughs> also no, Jam in the Holograms is only made for $5 million. But, like, if you look at the ratio of how much it made for how mu- versus how much it lost, yeah. Jim and the Holograms did exceedingly poorly. Yeah. Point is, uh, this is a pretty big disappointment. Which is um, too bad because it's great. Yeah, we think this movie is great. Uh, he did also say that it's, like, you know, it's an expensive art movie and people aren't really into that. We're into that, Cash App. Yes, more like this, please. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, it's adapted from historian Guyan Prakash's novel Mumbai Fables and was inspired by the works of James Elroy, uh, who's a writer that Matt and I adore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he honestly couldn't have pitched this movie at us harder. Yeah, for those that don't know, James Elroy uh, is a novelist whose um, works have been adapted into such films as L.A. Confidential, one mm-hmm. of my and favorite films, and The Black Dahlia, a... Which is all right. Brian De Palma, a lesser Brian De Palma. I'll go to bat for The Black Dahlia. I mean, I think Brian De Palma's kind of overrated, so... Oh, really? Yeah. You should, uh... But The Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, the ones that are considered his failures, I always like better than the ones that he's, you know, known for. Okay, well, I mean, I hate Scarface, so... Um... It's set in 1960s Bombay, and it deals with bootlegging and city corruption. It stars Ranveer Kapoor as Johnny Balraj, a uh, street fighter who desires to be a big shot. Yeah, after watching the film uh, The Roaring Twenties, the Roaring Twenties with uh, Cagney, with James Cagney, I was getting to that. <laughs> uh, where the I'm just uh, so excited to talk about how this movie is invested in 30s gangster movies. Yeah. Where, spoiler alert for an 80-year-old movie, Cagney gets shot, and then <laughs> someone asks him, who is that guy? And his girlfriend says, he used to be a big shot. Johnny Balraj does not understand that, you know, being a big shot might not be worth it, but he goes for it anyway. 
Yeah. You gotta um, admire his uh, tenacity. In addition to Elroy, Matt and I also love 30s gangster flicks, especially the one starring James Cagney. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is pushed. And we love Bollywood, so this is, like, pitched perfectly at us. I, I sometimes wonder, like, was this movie, like, who was this movie made for other than us? Like, it's too bad there aren't more people <laughs> like us, honestly. Yeah, this, like, Venn diagram of people who like 30s gangster flicks. People who like Bollywood, people who like James Elroy. People who like Anushka Sharma, that's us too. Yeah. She stars as Rosie, a lounge uh, singer. A lounge singer who has ulterior motives. Um and the director, Karen Johar, stars as a uh, Kaizad Kambada, uh, our main antagonist who uh, brings Johnny into the bootlegging business essentially gives him a club that they use as a front. We should explain why A, it's called Ball Bay Velvet, and B, why bootlegging is a problem. Okay, um, but first I want to add that uh, Karen Johar's character is explicitly coded as gay. Yeah, there is a romantic uh, you know, love triangle between Rambir, Anushka, and Karen Johar. Well, and this character, Jimmy, played by um, Manish Chudery, uh, who's also in love with Rosie. So it's more like a, like a, like a square. I guess, but uh, to be a triangle, like, Chudery has to be in love with someone else. Oh, okay. So there's a clear triangle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I found that, you know, considering all the rumors um, of Johar's sexuality, um, I found it really interesting that he would play a villain who's explicitly coded as gay. Um, and he's kind of, he's kind of phenomenal in it. He's great. He's one, yeah. of, he's one of the best parts of an already good movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you want to explain uh, the title and bootlegging? Sure. Well, um, Karen Johar sets up Rambir Kapoor as... It, you know, being in charge of this club called Bombay Velvet, which is at the heart of um, Bombay, aka Mumbai's mm -hmm. uh, bootlegging industry in the 60s and 70s. So in Gujarat, uh, alcohol was and may still be prohibited. I think it still is in some places. Yeah. So it's because that's the state that uh, that Gandhi is from. Yeah, and Gandhi didn't like martinis, so you know. <laughs> A lot of people didn't know that about him. Wait, are you talking about that, you know, cute little kid with ADHD on Clone High? Yeah. Who guy. rocks the G-spot? That guy. He loves martinis. He drank non-alcoholic beer and pretended he was drunk, and then everyone was like, wait a minute, you're not actually drunk, you're not cool. Oh, okay. We're speaking, of course, of Clone High, the <laughs> best Canadian TV show. Yeah. Potentially. It's yeah, by the creators of um, the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street. Moving on. Anyway, <laughs> so Gujarat has a uh, bootlegging problem. Because it's a dry state. Yeah, it's a dry state. Johnny Balraj is providing the people what they want. And yeah, it's just really, really interesting. It's interesting to hear that NRIs are allowed to drink mm -hmm. and that white people can kind of be rented out to people to drink with because... White people are allowed to drink in Gujarat, and if you're with one, it's allowed. You're allowed as well. Mm -hmm. So at uh, Bombay Velvet, they kind of rent out white girls for you to drink with, <laughs> which is not unlike a hostess club in Japan, maybe. But with, yeah. with the explicit notion of you, you have to drink with this person, otherwise you're not allowed to drink. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a really interesting spin on something we've seen in a lot of you know old movies, or something like The Untouchables or Boardwalk Empire. Something the public like enemy? The, well, yeah, I'm just trying to think of more recent examples. Oh, okay. Where, like, bootlegging is lots of fun in Hollywood movies, but it's a little bit far removed from nowadays. Yeah. Well, here's a movie that it's, like, 40, 50 years ago, and bootlegging was a 
was a lucrative uh, prospect. So it's 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 really interesting to see that you know, in that time period. Yeah, I had to remind myself quite a bit when we were watching this that it's set in the 60s because there's so many influences from kind of the 30s all the way up to the 50s um, that you always kind of think that it's set in, like, further back. But no, it's set in the 60s. And it also kind of um, discusses larger aspects of city corruption and politics and in the end kind of makes a statement about, you know, the crime's involvement in building the modern city of Mumbai mm-hmm. yeah, into becoming this metropolis. Yeah, there's there's kind of a there, a construction boom going on and Karen Johar's character is in on the ground floor and Johnny Balraj wants a building of his own <laughs> and conflict ensues. Yeah, he's a really... I mean, I find Balraj a really likable character because he's so naive. He wants... He just wants the, to be a big shot. He, he doesn't, just wants he, to be he a doesn't big even shot. know what that means. He wants the heroism really without under like the heroism and the power without understanding, you know, the meaning behind it and how to go about getting it. And he he you know, I think you can really identify with him. Like he's just kind of a young guy trying to make it, but he doesn't have the smarts or the knack. All he's good it. at is punching people. Yeah. Uh Balraj likes to go to Fight Club to cool off in another... <laughs> He's a street fighter. In another kind of, uh, you know, idiosyncratic part of this film. That's where he goes to, you know, calm down, is beating the shit out of people in a in a squared circle. Yeah. I also really love what Kashyap does with Anushka Sharma's character who uh, escapes uh, a terrible situation where she is being abused um, and then finds herself, you know, in a city like Mumbai where, again, she has to... Uh, allow men to manipulate her so that she can survive. Um, and so I think he, he's, he's saying something quite profound about, you know, kind of women in urban spaces with mm-hmm. Anushka Sharma's character, with, with this character of Rosie, um, who... She's a classic gun mall type character. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, unlike some of those 30 gangster flicks, the film has a lot more kind of sympathy and empathy for her. I would say even more than with Balraj. Mm-hmm. You know, she she comes off the best. And well, at least Balraj is making his own mistakes. Yeah. Rosie's kind of caught up in the problem. Yeah, she is always going to be manipulated, and that's because of her gender. That's because she's a woman. That's because she can sing. Like, you know, it's all... She's a caged she, bird. Yeah, and all she can do is continue to just kind of jump to... The guy who's going to be the nicest to her, and you know maybe she'll fall in love with one. And her chemistry with you know Ranbir Kapoor, I think, is excellent. Her costumes are amazing. Uh, this movie is slick, slick, slick. Mm-hmm. It, uh, unlike Kashyap's other films, does not have that kind of gritty aesthetic. It well, looks... it has a gritty aesthetic all of its own because <sighs> yeah, you know, he is going to Fight Club. And getting the shit kicked out of him, but it, he's but he's like getting beaten in the most uh, yeah in in the most like attractive way possible. It has a Hollywood sheen, um, and to add to that, it was edited by um, uh, Prana Seigel, who edited the Lunchbuck, and and the Scorsese collaborator Thelma Schoenmacher, who has a few Academy Awards and mm-hmm. has worked on many of Scorsese's films, including like The Departed. Honestly, this movie is probably too much of a film nerd thing to have caught on in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably a pretty elitist thing for me to say, but 
um, it might have been pitched too high for general audiences. Yeah, but I think like it's just as accessible. It was something like LA Confidential, like yeah, you know, LA I Confidential just... did well. Or I don't know. There's so many Bollywood movies that are tangentially about gangsters. One that is stylized and you know takes place in not in modern day where most Indian gangster movies take place, but in the recent past. It should have done better than it did. When I hear people on the podcast saying that this was a terrible movie, I just don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah, I I ate this up, but I totally admit that I have a bias in favor of this kind of material. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy this kind of slick, flashy, neo-noir, um, you know, it just, it, it's, it's catnip to me. And, you know, a lot of people... A lot of critics were praising, you know, the acting and the aesthetic, but thought that the story really faltered. And I, I didn't feel that he he really felt like kind of a classic noir hero to me. This kind of bumbling fool who's easily duped, who has these aspirations, who gets kind of wrapped up in these larger mechanics that he can't well, here, understand or navigate. Here's what we do: let's cast this with Hollywood characters because. Johnny Balraj would obviously be a Burt Lancaster type. Oh, okay, yeah. He's kind of a affable dupe who's big and mostly physical. Mm-hmm. Whereas Rosie would be, I don't know, maybe a Dietrich. Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth, yeah. And Karen Johar. Very like Gilda, Rita Hayworth. Yeah, whoever the whoever the bad guy was in Gilda, that kind of mm-hmm. works because he was also very coded as gay. Yeah. He had his cane. He walked around with yeah, all the time. Gilda yeah, Gilda has the same kind of yeah. queer love triangle thing going on. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is I think it's it's a a movie where there's a a level of film knowledge involved to really get what he's trying to do mm-hmm. that maybe isn't as uh, you know, prevalent anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, for those of us that you know, are invested in these traditions of filmmaking. I loved seeing this. I was so elated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we really kind of felt like, yeah, this movie made especially for me. Like, I am going to appeal to all of your kind of quirky sensibilities of the things that you love about the history of cinema. Um, you know, and it's in a different way than he normally does. Because it's a very different kind of film. I, this is so much more Hollywood influence than I think anything else I've seen from him. Yeah. A lot of, well, ugly and gangs of Westport, especially there is a bit of talking about the characters. The characters are aware of movies and they kind of reflect on their own lives against movies. Mm-hmm. Whereas this in, in Bombay velvet, no one is thinking about other movies apart from Johnny Balraj, who loves Hollywood movies. But no one is kind of like sitting back and offering ironic commentary on movies. No. They are in a movie. Exactly, exactly. And he, that's all he wants is to be in that movie that he completely misunderstands. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just, I think that there's a poetry to that. And I just, you know, the and the set dressing is so pretty to look at. And it, um, it deserved its visual effects award, too, because... It did, yeah. Um, especially for a Bollywood movie, the effects were fantastic. Yeah, this is one of the best-looking movies um, I've seen anywhere in the world um, in the, over the past year. Um, as a random uh, piece of trivia, um, parts of the set are now a tourist attraction. Parts of the set are now a tourist attraction in Sri Lanka at the National Tele Cinema Park. 
Cool. I'd, <laughs> I'd love like to, to visit. Yeah, yeah, that'd be super cool. I'd love to go to Bombay Velvet. It seems like I'm sure at some club. point it will get torn down. This is not like DDLJ where they can just like keep having these uh, um, train tours of sets. Like Matt and I are two of the only people I know of that really cared about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just like it really appealed to us. Well, maybe some people will check it out now. It is available on iTunes. Yeah. That's where we watched it. It's definitely worth throwing on if you like gangster flicks and you like really stylized stories. Yeah. I mean, this is a film that I think um, should have played, should have had a different marketing strategy instead of playing to kind of quote unquote Bollywood fans instead of, you know, being released in the same way, at least here in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, to the same audience that goes to see all the other Bollywood films. I really think it should have kind of um, attempted a crossover. And I think it would have found uh, an audience that really embraced it because it's not it's not necessarily pitched at a Bollywood audience. Think of something like uh, Tokyo Tribes or... <laughs> God, Tokyo Tribes. No, really? but like just, just a... An arty gangster movie? Yeah. It is that. It is an arty gangster movie. Yeah. And again, like, I think, you know, people who like LA Confidential should check this out. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Elroy connection um, is from Cash App's own admission. I'm not I'm not stretching here. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us uh, to the end of our look at Anyway Cash App's uh, most recent films. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of interesting stuff, I think. I would definitely check them out if you're interested in world cinema. If you're like a real snooty type film fan who only wants to watch the best from each country, definitely check Cash App out. Yeah, and we um, we will be returning to some of his other films in future episodes that we have planned. Well, we still have to watch all the other ones because he's fantastic. And seems like a pretty funny guy when he shows up in something like Luck by Chance or Happy New Year. Yeah, and actually he's going to be acting in a few films coming up. Uh, there was a hilarious one that I think Shahid Kapoor has unfortunately dropped out of, which was going to be called AK versus SK, where Anirat Kashyap kidnaps Shahid Kapoor and tries to get him to star in his movie. <laughs> that sounds great. Sounds like a real king of comedy type thing. It does sound great. He really has a sense of humor. Um, so yeah, It's interesting that he is actually... Like, you, do you see Hanake showing up in other people's movies? Not really. He's more like Werner Herzog, where yeah. he kind of has a sense of humor and will show up as himself in various things. It It is, like, kind of heartening to see that he's not a super depressed weirdo. Well, and that's what I was saying. That, you know, this interview with him on Coffee with Koran was really illuminating for me because he talked about kind of this transition in perspective that he's had. And so that he kind of does want to play ball with the film industry a bit more than earlier on in his career, um, while still, you know, fighting against the censor board like over how, ugly. I would love to see him direct um, Amir Khan in something. Yeah. I think the two of them, with their actual commitment to making really good movies, they would make something amazing. I am most looking forward to catching up with uh, No Smoking, because I think he could do some fantastic things with John Abraham. Mm-hmm. Which one are you most looking forward to catching up with now? Um, I definitely want to see the Black Friday one. I think yeah. that that's a recent piece of history that has gone woefully underexamined. And, and we will be could discussing be really it. to look at, yeah. Yeah, we will be discussing it when we turn our lens towards terrorism. Mm-hmm. 
We're coming for you, terrorism. (laughs) But our next episode, uh, I think, is going to be really interesting. Uh, We will be joined by our good friend, Devin Bruce, who is the host of the List Makers podcast, as well as Scotch and Comics, and a general uh, kind of pop culture man around town. He will be bringing us scotch. Yeah. You hear that, Devin? Yeah, we want some scotch. Um, And we will be looking at uh, two Shakespeare adaptations by Vishal Bardwaj. Uh, and those are Hater, which is an adaptation of Hamlet, and Omkara, which is an adaptation of Othello. Uh, so look for that in two weeks. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, we have a Twitter account, at Bollywood Pod. You can tell us why we're wrong and bought Bombay Velvet actually blue, but I won't listen to you, but you can still <laughs> try. You can find both of us on Twitter ourselves. I'm Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-N-E-F-R-A-S-E-R. We also have a Facebook page, so head on over to Facebook, give us a like, and uh, maybe comment, and let us know what you think. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Yeah, and we have a Tumblr page for the show, bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. And that's where we post our excellent show notes, which uh, sometimes corrects things that we might have gotten wrong when we were recording, um, but also has a lot of fun hidden links to uh, song and dance videos. Um, this will probably have a lot of news articles in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in kind of uh, checking things out further, please head there and take a look. Yeah, and uh, thanks so much for listening, and don't get shot by anybody. <laughs> <laughs>